Uh, we are in, this is the final message, the final week of a series called Radical Grace. And I don't know when the last time was that you used the word radical. It may have been quite some time. Uh, you might have thrown the word totally in front of it. Totally radical. Or if you're Pastor Kevin, super, uh, super radical, super everything. But it's, it's a word that means uncommon, unexpected, um, more than we anticipated, over the top, out of the ordinary. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to go there again today. We're going to go to this place of more than we had anticipated. We're going to go to this place of shocking, mind-blowing, upside-down, unexpected kingdom of God. And we're going to go there again. And before we do, I want to tell you a quick little story. I have a friend named Jeff who lives in Washington, the state of Washington. He owns a golf course. It's a really nice, fancy golf course. It's so nice, in fact, that he is able to take his family for a four-month vacation uh, this year, this past year. And he put them in an RV like you do when you have four months. And he drove from northern United States, from the northwest, across the northern part of the United States to the east, down the coast, back down along through the south, and over here to the west coast. I met him at the Irvine Spectrum for lunch, and he told me this story. While he was in New Mexico, he took his road bike off the RV, put his wife and children in the hotel, and said, yeah, I will be back in a little while. I'm going to hit the roads. So he got his road bike, put on his helmet, his gear, and he goes to the back roads, these hills of New Mexico. As he is riding his bike, he hears off in the distance a barking dog. And then he sees from his peripheral vision this dog rapidly approaching. And he thinks, okay, I'm an expert biker. I get this. I know that when I ride my bike, sometimes dogs, they get a little uh, territorial, and they come up behind you, and they just bark for a second until they lose interest, and then they bail, right? So I'm just going to speed up, and I'm going to go past. He speeds up. He doesn't, an he doesn't anticipate that this particular German shepherd has a death wish. And this particular German shepherd is sprinting at full speed from wherever he's coming from, and he meets my friend Jeff and just broadsides him, actually right in the front tire. And Jeff flips over the top of his bike. Helmet goes to the front. He flies over. He hits the back of his head on the asphalt and splits it wide open. He's got blood just pouring down, covering half of his shirt and all over him. The, the dog, don't worry about the dog. The dog's fine. The dog kind of like whimpered off and, and went to wherever hurt dogs in New Mexico go. And, and he's just kind of doing his thing. And my friend Jeff has this bent bike that's just laying there on the side of the road. And he's bleeding all over himself. And he takes his shirt, he takes it off, and he tries to hold his skin together on his head, and he's just bleeding out. A car comes by. The car sees Jeff, obviously, pulls a little bit over to the other side of the road, and drives even faster past. And Jeff thinks to himself, oh, no, I would probably do the same thing. I mean, look at me, I'm a mess. I'm bleeding all over the place. You'd ask yourself, okay, is he going to get blood on my upholstery? What kind of weird guy is this? I saw a dog limping over there. Does he have rabies now? Like, what's going on? I, I'm not going to stop for this dude. And so he passes. Fifteen more minutes of cars passing. And Jeff's thinking to himself, God, if you get me out of this, I will be the guy who stops 
from now on. I will be the guy who pulls over and helps people when they're in need. Just please get me out of this. I can't walk back to the hotel. I can't do this. I'm getting dizzy and losing consciousness. I need help holding his head like this and just kind of laying on the side of the road. And then a car does come by. It's an older man. He pulls up. He's a believer. He loves God. He, he helps Jeff into his car, doesn't worry about the blood, gives him a new towel to put on his, on his wound. This guy has adopted five kids, and he just, he's just a good man. He takes Jeff, gets his wife. They go to the hospital. They're good, right? Leaving the hospital, Jeff has staples in his head, <clears throat> and he is driving with his wife, and he sees a truck on the side of the road with the hood up. And he says to his wife, oh, we got to pull over. <laughs> and his wife is like, oh, no, we're not pulling over. We are getting you back to the hotel and getting some ibuprofen in you and laying you down. And he's like, no, no, we really got to pull over. So they pull the car over. He goes up to this guy. This man is on the other side of his truck. He says, sir, I see that your you know, truck is busted up here. Do you need any help? And the man looks at him, and he, he smiles, and Jeff tells me, this dude literally had one tooth in his mouth. <laughs> and the man looks back at Jeff, and he says, son, if you don't mind me saying so, it looks like you're the one who needs some help. <laughs> Still in his bloody clothes, right? And Jeff smiles, and, and, uh, and Jeff says, well, you know, here's the deal. I'm just coming from the hospital. I'm okay now. I had this accident, and I just promised God that if he got me out of it, I would be the guy who stops and helps people from now on. And and the, the man with one tooth in his mouth looks back at Jeff, and he says, do you believe in God, son? And Jeff says, yeah, I do. I actually, I love God. And he goes, well, God bless you. Go on your way. Done. Didn't need help, apparently. End of story. Jeff passes that on to me three weeks ago at the Irvine Spectrum. I tell you that story to tell you this. The beginning of radical grace in our lives starts with identification being able to identify that that could be me, that I need help. I have been in a situation, I have been a person who needs that kind of help. That's where we start, and that's where we're going to finish. And now I am going to tell you a story that, that might be familiar. We're going to go to Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't, we're going to, be, we're going to have some verses on the screen, and Terry is going to be tracking with me from back here. Have you seen Back to the Future? Any Back to the Future fans? I thought of that while I was talking to Terry when Michael J. Fox says, hey, this is a blues riff in B. Watch me for the changes and try to keep up. That's a little bit what we're going to be looking at here because there's going to be verses just flying behind me and you just kind of track in. you got your outline. you got the notes here behind me. And let's do this. This is going to be good. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, starting here. I'm going to give you some context. I'm going to give you some characters and then we're going to get to it. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, stop there. Here's the deal. Expert in the law. That's another word for lawyer, right? They had lawyers back in those days. They had lawyers who understood the whole entirety of the law. The law he's referring to is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Any good Jew knew that those were, that was the text to live by. That was the deal. That was the stuff. And he wasn't, this, this, this lawyer, this expert, this religious expert, was not trying to learn something from Jesus here. 
He thought he knew everything about the law. What he had heard was this Jesus, who was supposed to be this rabbi leading people toward, toward God, toward their shared God, right, was doing some crazy stuff, like hanging out with prostitutes, drunks, beggars, just unclean, unsavory people, and then having the nerve to tell them that their sins could be forgiven, right? And so this expert in the law is testing Jesus. He stood up to test him. He stands up to show him respect, but really he's got a completely different agenda. He's trying to sabotage this Jesus, trying to have him expose himself as not really being a man who follows the Torah, not really being in line with the one true God. And that's how he starts this. Teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? By asking that question, he's saying, what's, what's the gist of your gospel? What's the gist of your message? We all want connection with God and this eternal life. So tell me, what, what's your deal? What's, what's your one thing? How does it go? So Jesus looks back at this man and he says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're the guy who earns your living interpreting the law. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered, he said, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So here's the deal. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, in those days, because they had these lawyers, these experts, they, they did that because they had 613 laws in this Torah that they were supposed to follow. When you have that many laws, you need some experts in the law to interpret them and to rank them because sometimes they come in conflict with, one, with, with each other. And you have to know, okay, should I go with this one or should I go with this one? For example, Jesus got into trouble often or on a number of occasions for healing on the Sabbath, right? So you have this law that says, hey, don't do anything on Sundays. And then you have Jesus who heals a man that's crippled. And he said, well, which is more important, to love your neighbor or to respect the Sabbath? So they had this kind of ranking system. So what this man was doing was he was saying, okay, this is how I rank it, Jesus, or this is how I think you would want me to rank it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And there was debate about that in his day. There were some people, everyone agreed, love God, that's the number one. But there were some people who believed that number two was about holiness. It was about keeping clean. It was about doing all the religious rituals, right? And so they would put that as number two. This man says, okay, I, I, maybe, maybe this is what I believe, or maybe judging by who this Jesus is, I'm, I'm going with... Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the interesting thing. Loving the Lord your God, he would say, yeah, I do that with my whole being. I'm a religious expert. I'm a leader in this faith thing. I do that. No, you don't. I mean, do you? Do, do, do I love God all the time? That would be like a perfect love, right? With all my mind, all my heart. I try to. But I'm going to have thoughts today that are not honoring to God. I'm going to have an attitude. I'm going to have a motive that's not honoring to God. And so did this man. But it was invisible, right? It was between him and God. Now you introduce this other element of love our neighbor as ourself. That has skin on it. There's something more to that. That, that can be kind of judged in the court of public opinion. Yet that you can see. And so he's saying, uh, okay, so, so love, love the Lord. Yeah, I, I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my mind. And I'm going to love my neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, okay, that's good. Do that and you will live. And Jesus agrees with them. And in your notes, it says Deuteronomy 6.5. That's where that comes from. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
And Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what he is pulling from, and that's what Jesus is affirming. And when Jesus is asked in other places, what's the greatest commandment? That's what Jesus says. But uh, this was kind of embarrassing to the, to the expert because he's, he's put in his place. It's, it seems too simple. And we talked about a lawyer, right? So what do lawyers do? Lawyers look for loopholes, right? So love the Lord with all of this, all of me, and love my neighbor yourself. Okay, but it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Who, Jesus, is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And this is where it starts to get crazy for me. Because if you imagine like a, like a movie scene and the, and the camera is on the expert, this, this fancy guy with his tassels and traditions that just like pulled up on his donkey named Bentley, right? And, he's, and so he's there. And then we got this Jesus who's got all this, this huge crowd following him. And he asked this pressing question. And Jesus says, well, what do you think, dude? You're the guy who earns your living. Don't try to trap me. And he's like, well, this is my answer. And Jesus says, great, do that and you will live. And the guy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, well, hold up. It's not that easy, right? I mean, like, who is my neighbor? And then the crowd is like, silent. And the, sh- the camera shifts over back to Jesus. And I imagine that Jesus is there. He looks at the guy. He looks away. And he, just, he, look, he scans the crowd. And he reminds himself why he's here and why he's doing this and why he's putting up with guys like this. And then he tells them this story. It's a story that all of you have heard or at least heard of. But I want to invite you to hear it in a different way today. I want to invite you that when Jesus tells a parable, he tells a story, he's often saying this and this too underneath the surface. There's layers to his stories. So watch, watch this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, And went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Okay? Characters. We've got robbers and we've got this man. We don't know where this man is from. We don't know what his ethnicity is, if he's Jewish, if he's something else. We don't know if he's wealthy, if he's poor. Jesus intentionally makes him this nameless, faceless man. They stripped him of his clothes so he was not recognizable, what kind of status or what kind of place he came from. He was bloody so people couldn't determine, right? We have the robbers who did that, then they scatter off. And then we have this priest, this priest who's coming from Jerusalem where he's just gone through all the ceremonial cleansings. He's just gotten himself all clean. He's done his deal. He's gone through the motions, and now he's headed back down to do to his place of ministry, whatever that looks like, to do what he does in ministry, right? And he comes along this man, and he sees him, and he goes around him. Now, it was understandable that the priest did that. I mean, if you know, if you understand anything about that day in the first century, these religious leaders, they couldn't come in contact with a dead person. They couldn't. There there was like all kinds of hoopla and, and rituals and cleansings that they would have had to do if they, here's what they believed. Even if his shadow touched a dead person, he would be contaminated for a week. Okay? So after just being in Jerusalem, getting all clean, he would have to then go forego another week of work, reclean himself, get his religiousness back before he could serve again, right? That's the way they viewed it. So he passes and keeps on going. Then it says, there was a Levite too. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw this man, he passed on the other side of the road. Now I imagine 
the, the Levites, they, they were people that were the assistants to the priest. So I imagine that he sees the priest off in the distance as he's walking. He sees the priest walk around this man. And so he thinks maybe he gets a little bit closer, right? He gets up there, and he's a little bit closer to the man who's half dead, bloodied, and a mess. And he looks at him, he's like, oh, shoot. I think that dude's still alive. I should probably, oh, but the priest didn't. Now, if I do something, I'm going to make the priest look bad, right? Have you ever been in that kind of a If, if I do this, then, then they're going to be thinking that I'm better than them or like, uh, I'm just going to do what the priest did. And so the Levite himself keeps walking. Now, it's important to realize that the people that are listening to this story, they're not even mad at him, right? I mean, they get it. They get that the priest and the Levite have to stay clean. They get that the, all the ceremony and rituals, they get that that's important. They get that it would have been a big hassle. They get that if the dude was dead that they'd be regretting the decision to go up and help him, right? So the listeners, they understand. And maybe they're starting to feel this little conviction. Maybe they're starting to see between the lines of Jesus' story. Maybe they're starting to see that, that perhaps these religious people, they hold their religion, their ritual, their cleanliness, their perceived holiness above loving others. And they're starting to see that, right, the listeners. And so what they expect is that the third person to come along is going to be a good Jew, He's going to be a good Jew, and he's going to come, and he's going to help the dude. And it's going to be like, yay, Jews like me. We, we, we get it, right? We're about helping people. And that's not Jesus' story. Jesus says, but a Samaritan, he tra- as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. A Samaritan? A Samaritan was the most hated for Jews. A Samaritan was a half breed. A Samaritan was contaminated at birth because his parents had intermarried, right? They were these, they were these other people that we do not speak of, right? They were, they were these others that the Jews hated. They considered them like dogs. So, so now Jesus, does, he just doesn't care. He's telling these story about priests and Levites, and then the, they expect, all the listeners expect, okay, it's just going to be a regular Jew who comes and saves the day. Nope. It's a, fair, it's, it's a Samaritan whom they hate. It's a Samaritan that they resent. And the dude helps this man. And he goes to an extreme. He goes to the utmost extent. Two denarii. That, that would have, that would have took, taken care of this man for like three weeks. And he says, if, if that's not enough, if that's not enough, if he didn't give him enough, he would have, the man would have had to stay there. And so he says, I'll come back and I'll pay even if it's more than that. So then Jesus Imagine the movie scene. We, we shift back to the expert, and Jesus says to him, okay, eye contact with the expert. So which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so look, look at what Jesus just did. He flips the whole story. He shifts it. 
upside down on this guy. So, so the, the expert in the law, he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this controversial, mind-blowing story that would have frustrated everybody there. And then he finishes not with, okay, so this is your neighbor. He finishes with who was the neighbor to this man. He finishes with, hey, hey, religious leader, expert in the law, who thinks that his whole, that he is the center of his universe, that it's all about him, that who, who, can I, who can I exclude from this obligation? Who do I have to be a neighbor to? And Jesus says, nope, who was a neighbor to this man? In essence, you are the neighbor to anyone who you come in contact with. And I will go to such an extent to prove that point to you that I will make you emulate the person that you resent, that you can't stand. I will make that guy the hero. So Jesus flips this whole question, right, from who is my neighbor to be the neighbor, who is the neighbor to others. And then, and then he flips. He flips the worldview, too, that cleanliness was ultimate, right, he, the original answer of this, this expert was, okay, so the second most important thing is love, love others as you love yourself. But Jesus exposed that these Levites, this priest, they, they might have said that, but that was not their practice. And similarly with this expert in the law, he might have said that, but that was not his practice. His practice was he was obsessed about him. He was obsessed about his religious routines. He was obsessed about his rituals. He was obsessed about staying clean. He was obsessed about just being at church on Sundays, going through the motions, doing his Bible study. He did everything to look right on the outside, and that was his law. It was not loving others as himself. So Jesus flipped that and, and shifted this worldview, this paradigm, and exposed it for what it was. And then lastly, he shifted the hero. He said, the hero is not who you expect the hero to be. You want it to be these cool Jewish leaders. It's not. It's this Samaritan that you hate. Why? Because he's the one that was living out what you say you believe. And in spite of the fact that you, you get caught up in all of this stuff, the irony is that they were missing the priest, the Levite, and this expert in the law, they were, they were so consumed with the letter of the law that they missed the overall message of the Torah. To love God with all their heart and by doing so, love their neighbor as themselves. Okay, so we talked about a few characters, right? We talked about, we talked about the robbers. We talked about the man. We talked about the priest. We talked about the Levite, and then we talked about the Samaritan. There's one more, there's one more character in the story. The character is the God-man, Jesus, who put on skin and came to this earth and is telling this story. It's, it's Jesus who, ironically, he tells a story about these religious leaders who are leaving Jerusalem and coming to do their ministry, and on their way to do their ministry, they step around a person in need. Jesus is on a long road to Jerusalem, not to be cleaned, to be killed, to be killed. Jesus is telling a story about himself. He is the great Samaritan, that while you and I were broken and busted on the side of the road, and had people step around us, that he stopped. He even pointed to it when he said that the Samaritan took out wine. He was alluding to his blood that he would soon shed. And then he said he poured oil 
the Holy Spirit who would fill us with life. And that he would bring us in our broken state to a place of healing where we can be in community and grow and heal and do this life together. He is the great Samaritan. And I know what it's like to be busted up on the side of the road and even to have religious types walk around me in that state. Do you? And he said, I, I will come. I will take care of that. Look at these verses in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us. Matthew 10.8, freely you have received, freely you give. Here's the secret, friends. The secret to radical grace is about identifying and saying, first and foremost, that was me. I need that radical grace. I am a person of the second chance that LV was talking about. We all are. We all are. We have all, in some way, shape, or form, been there. And to identify first with that, that that was me, that I am in need of a rescuer, that I am in need of this hero, this unexpected hero, that I need that first. And then once we own that, once we get there, then we say, okay, God, now pour your grace out and your mercy out on me, and then now through me. And even though this, this commandment to love God with all of us and to love our neighbors as ourselves is seemingly impossible, now because of his mercy, it becomes possible. And we just become conduits of that grace because of him. What if? What if we could be people who were just lived lives of grace and action? What if we could be people who didn't hold others' sins, others' stuff, others' offenses against them? What if we could be people who just received the incredible grace of God and just gave it away freely? I have one more little line on your outline, and it says, the radical grace I have freely received, I freely give to blank. I don't know who that is for you, but maybe you do. Maybe there's a name or a person or a type of person that has been popping up in your heart a person that, like the expert in the law, he couldn't even say, when Jesus asked him who was the neighbor to this person, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. He, couldn't even, he didn't even want that name on his lips. Is there someone like that for you? Is there someone that you're withholding God's grace from? Freely we have received. Freely we give it away. Freely we give it away. God, we are so grateful for your mercy. We are so grateful for your radical, unexpected, over-the-top grace, that you, you had that kind of grace on us. God, pour out your grace, not only to us, but through us, that others can receive hope and healing and forgiveness, that we will be people who are liberal with our love, even unoffendable. And your grace would just flow into the lives of others. In Jesus' name.